0: of Bulls HQ. Thank you for joining me and hope you're all doing well out there in Bulls Nation. Firstly, apologies that I wasn't able to get to a podcast last week. Uh, Unfortunately, I had some technical difficulties with my microphone. So it's sort of, I was actually recording a podcast, I think post the Washington game. So the Bulls obviously had games against the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Washington Wizards last week and then I was actually halfway through recording a podcast and my uh, microphone pretty much blew up on me so unfortunately I couldn't get out a podcast last week but I've got a new mic sorted now and I'm ready to go for another one but um, unfortunately there's not a whole lot to talk about now that we're into the all-star break so I probably won't go back and review the last week's games I guess it was four four games worth of of uh, action that I didn't really get to speak much on, particularly the Minnesota game, so unfortunately I wasn't able to really give you my thoughts on that one, and it probably doesn't make sense to go and relive a game that sort of happened uh, you know, over a week ago, so I won't touch too much on that game, even though it was an emotional game, obviously the return of Jimmy Butler and Taj Gibson back to Chicago, so... I don't really have any intentions of of breaking down those games or sort of giving you my thoughts on those games. But what I would want to say about, I guess, the Minnesota game in particular was just how good the the video tribute was that the Bulls sort of set up there for Taj Gibson and Jimmy Butler. I thought they handled that really, really well in terms of their return. Taj Gibson, probably, I'm not sure if I've mentioned this on the podcast, but he's probably a top three favorite Chicago Bull of all time for me. And I guess for me personally, I've always gravitated towards role players. I've never really been straight up into the the big name stars like I guess Derek Rose, Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen. Whilst I appreciated these guys and loved what they did for the Chicago Bulls, I always grav- gravitated towards the, the the lesser names, the guys that I guess were more blue collar, did all the things that the star players typically didn't necessarily do, just generally speaking, at least. So. Guys like Kirk Heinrich, guys like Joakim Nolan, and Taj Gibson. These are the sort of players that I always loved watching, and I just have so much respect for these type of players, particularly someone like Taj Gibson, who I think whilst he was here, was always the best teammate he could possibly be, so... You know, you you think about just the way he sort of carried himself on the court as a defense-first guy, doing all the things that others wouldn't necessarily do, hitting the offensive glass and just creating extra possessions for the team. But then away from the court, just being this terrific teammate, being all of the former Bulls speak so highly of a guy like Taj Gibson and, you know, just just his beaming smile as well, I guess, as well. He he was just everything that I loved in a player. And look, if you're going to dunk hard on Dwayne Wade, in the 2011 Eastern Conference Finals you're pretty much going to have my love for you know for the for the remaining I guess portion of your basketball career but I just I just love Taj Gibson he was just a great player a great teammate to have and he sacrificed so much for the for this Bulls squad he was he was a starter in his rookie year and then went back to the bench after the Bulls signed Carlos Boozer and then he was probably a better player than Boozer for the last two two and a bit seasons there, but he still came off the bench, still did his job, and was more than happy doing so. And then I guess was looking like he was going to be a starter for the Bulls during the two two thousand and fourteen off season, once the Bulls were were chasing Carmelo Anthony. Obviously, Taj was a big part of that recruiting element that was sort of chasing um Carmelo Anthony with Joakim Noah there. That they were the I guess the two guys trying to sell. Carmelo on coming to Chicago, but I guess once Melo didn't sign with the Bulls, the Bulls quickly moved on to Pau Gasol. And straight away, there was no issues with Taj about Pau coming in and potentially taking his, you know, his potential starting job. He went back to the bench and and just did his job again. And eventually he did become a starter with Pau Gasol in the, the 2015-16 season. But you never heard any complaining from Taj Gibson. And that's what I always loved about that guy. So to see him back in the United Center and to be honored that way. And, and the fans to be reacting that way to Taj was awesome. And obviously the same can be said about Jimmy Butler. He was obviously the 30th pick in the 2011 draft for the Chicago Bulls. Becoming more than just, I guess, a defensive role player. Which what really he was sort of built to be. And... He developed into, look, frankly, an, an NBA superstar at this point. He's just been, been unbelievable with unbelievable with the Minnesota Timberwolves this season. A fringe MVP candidate. And during his time with the Chicago Bulls, a three-time All-Star. So, in a lot of ways, Jimmy Butler almost saved this franchise, particularly post the Derrick Rose era, where Derrick sort of went down with those multiple knee injuries. Jokey Noah as well got hurt. The Bulls would have been in a pretty dire situation had Butler not morphed into an, an all-star type of player overnight. So I think that is underreported, or at least under-discussed among amongst the fan base as to where we would have been over that last, you know that two to three year period had Jimmy Butler not developed into a star. He he gave us a reason to, I guess, be hunting towards that playoff push. Obviously, we didn't really advance far or past the first round with Jimmy, not necessarily his fault, but imagine how bleak things would have been without Jimmy Butler and thinking about how bad that era may have been had he not turned into this sort of all-star type player so it was just awesome to see Butler and and Taj Gibson two late first round picks that the Bulls developed into two really long-term valuable pieces for the franchise and two I guess guys that will be forever loved by the franchise and the fans really Really made that clear during the video tribute, and I thought the Bulls did put together a great video package. So, shout out to the Chicago Bulls, but also to Taj Gibson and Jimmy Butler as well for the players they were for the Bulls, and I guess for us, you know, always loving those types of players. So, that's the only thing I really wanted to say about the Wolves game itself. But um, yeah, I'm spewing. I didn't get to record a podcast straight after because it would have been an exciting one, but. Oh, well, the Bulls have got another game against the Wolves coming up in a week's time, so maybe we can um, <laughs> can uh, do a pod after that one. But what I wanted to do today, given that it's the All-Star break and there isn't really much basketball going on for the next few days, is I thought I would just take a bit of a break here just to, I guess, do a bit of a, a mailbag type podcast just to answer some questions that I've sort of uh, have received from Twitter as well as Reddit. So thank you to everyone for sending through your questions. It's always appreciated when you guys do that. But... I think now that we've sort of got that break, it's a nice time to sort of just relax a little bit, sort of look back on the on the previous 57 games that have sort of gone before us whilst they' also taking a look ahead to the remaining 25 games, but obviously for a team like the Bulls, where tanking is the mission and the draft is probably going to be the most most important date of this uh, NBA calendar for the Bulls also looking ahead to the draft and free agency and answering any questions you may have about that as well so look let's whip into it and like i said before i appreciate everyone sending in the questions but what i'll do is i'll start with the questions that i did receive in relation to maybe the rotation i'll leave the, the more general questions and those that relate to free agency and and the draft a little bit later on so I'll start with the rotation questions because they're probably more relevant as to what is happening for the season going forward and I guess these questions do have their their permutations on, you know, potentially the draft itself but... The first question comes in from um, a guy whose name I probably shouldn't announce on the podcast. Not that I guess there's any, uh, <laughs> not that there's any rules against uh, swear words or anything like that on this podcast. I don't necessarily mind, but I'm sure he knows who he is. He's on Reddit, but uh, he asks: out of all the young players who are supposed to get more minutes after the All Star break, so guys like Blakeney, Felicio, Vonleh, Archie Diakono, Cameron Payne. Who excites you the most and who do you think has the future with the team or who has a future with the team? So I've mentioned this on the the last podcast, but I think by default, because of his contract, Cristiano Felicio definitely has a future with the Chicago Bulls. Doesn't necessarily mean he has a a rosy future, but given that he has three more seasons at about $8 million roughly uh, for the next three years, um, I think he's going to be on the roster Because I don't think they're necessarily going to find someone that's going to take him via a trade. So a guy like Felicio is just going to be hanging around because he's earning too much money and not producing enough. So he's a bad contract at at this point. So I would imagine he's going to be around. But hopefully he can turn things around once the Bulls have some more creators on the court around him and we saw last season how much better he looked in pick and roll and particularly as that role man with Dwayne Wade operating as the role man you know really catching those lobs from Dwayne Wade and being a real real force on the offensive glass as well so I think once the Bulls have more established talent on the perimeter who can sort of create for him I think he'll be much better off so hopefully there is some scope there for him to turn things around so I would say I do still have some faith in Felicio turning this around. I wouldn't say I have a, a high amount of faith, but I do still think there is a good player within, within him somewhere. We've seen it before. So unless for whatever reason it's just disappeared, I think he can still produce something for the Bulls as a bench big. Whereas the other guys haven't necessarily shown anything at all. So Noah Vonleh, he's four seasons into his career at this point. I'm not much of a fan of him to be honest with you. I mentioned on the last podcast how I thought the trade for Vonleh was purely a financial move more so than a basketball move itself. He'll, he'll have pretty much 25 games or so to audition for the Bulls for next season, but I don't think he's going to be on this squad next season, particularly with the Bulls having, you know, four to five or guaranteed contracts already in the front court for next season. So it doesn't really make sense to carry someone like Von Vonlay when you've already got that much, I guess, not much of your cap already committed to your big man rotation. So I'm talking about Robin Lopez, O'Meara Sheik, Cristiano Felicio, Bobby Portis, and Lowry Markin. And there's five guys in the front court that are going to be making over $30 million combined next season together. So I don't know if, you know, taking a shot on Von Vonlay next season really makes sense. So I don't have a lot of expectations for him definitely have got none for Cameron Payne. I've seen enough of Cameron Payne as as, as I'm sure most Bulls fans would uh, would attest to as well. He's pretty much here at this point to lead the tank. That's the only value I see from Cameron Payne. Um I could he could prove me wrong maybe you know once he returns he he becomes a player of sorts a nice bench piece, but I'm not excited about him at all and I wouldn't say he has a future with the team beyond next season. And then you've got guys like Archie Diakono and Antonio Blakeney, two-way contract guys who don't necessarily have the skill sets that I want in an NBA player. I think Blakeney definitely is more capable than someone like Archie diacono, but even Blakeney himself, he is a gunner off the bench. He's extremely athletic, but I, I just wonder how much does he fit this Bulls rotation or this roster, given that the, they don't really have... Much perimeter defense already on the wings. They've got a lot of gunners on the wings. A lot of guys that, you know, ball hawk their, uh, their own offense. I don't know if someone like Blakeney really fits on this roster long term. But if of the five guys that you sort of listed out there, if I had to pick one, I would pick Blakeney. So hopefully that answers your question there. And whilst we're on the, the subject of Antonio Blakeney from Twitter, Jay Butler asks, Will we see Blakeney take Archie's minutes? I don't know. I don't think. I don't think so. I think, I think Archie Diakono is going to be out of the rotation post the All Star break once Cameron Payne is back. So, Diakono, Archie Diakono at this at this point in time has been the Bulls' third point guard. Once Cameron Payne is back, I don't think we'll be seeing much of Archie Diakono at all. So, I don't think Blakeney himself is going to take Archie Diakono's minutes. That's going to be Cameron Payne. So. What that would mean for Blakeney to actually get some minutes is he'll need to take some away from guys on the wing, so Denzel Valentine, David Nwaba, Paul Zipsa, these types of guys. I don't see him taking minutes from Zach Levine because you know Levine himself needs those minutes. So, do you see? I guess Blakeney taking any minutes over those guys? Probably not. Again, Paxson has made it pretty clear that he wants to play Paul Zipsa. That's definitely a good move. If you uh, if you want to insert Zipsa, that's a, a good tanking move. So. I don't necessarily see Blakeney playing over Zipsa. Do you play him over Valentine? Probably not because he needs development, developmental minutes himself. So I, I just don't see Archie Diakonel and Blakeney playing a big role moving forward in the final 25 games unless you decide to sit someone like Zach Levine for you know the last five games of the season or something like that. I, I don't see much of a role for him going forward, unfortunately. So, But that's okay. I mean, he can come back. Next season, hopefully, you know, use the the off season there and the, and training camp to maybe round out a role for the for next season's roster. Maybe that can happen, but I'm just not seeing it at this point for this season for a guy like Antonio Blakeney. Okay, so moving on to the next few questions, I'm, I'm going to combine these next three because they're they're almost asking the same th- the the same thing. So these questions come through on Twitter from uh, Lassi Larson, Tom Niche, and Dimitrios Panos. They're pretty much asking. I guess going forward obviously the Bulls want to tank but at the same times they need to develop their younger players so the the three of them are essentially asking how do we go about commencing a tank and playing these bad players and changing the rotation going forward but at the same time developing some of the younger players some of the more important guys like Chris Dunn, Zach Levine and Larry Markinen. and I think it's an important question it's a good question to ask and Obviously, the remaining 25 games should be about tanking. I think that needs to be the priority. But at the same time, we shouldn't lose sight of the development required for guys like Larry Markinen and Chris Dunn in particular. And what I mean by that is if you start playing Cristiano Felicio a lot, maybe a lot of Cameron Payne, and um, you remove Robin Lopez as an example, and you start playing Felicio more with Markkinen, that's going to have an impact on Markinen's development because Robin Lopez does a lot of things for Larry Markinen that just go under the radar. I'm not going to bang on about them too much in this episode because I've I've made that very clear how I feel about Robin Lopez in previous episodes, but he does so many things for Markinen that go under the radar and he does a lot for Chris Dunn as well. So I just wonder if you play more Felicio, which will obviously help from a tanking perspective, what the impact that's going to do on someone like Lowry Markkanen. same thing with Chris Dunn. If for whatever reason you remove him from the rotation or lessen his minutes slightly because you want to play more of Jerry and Grant or Cameron Payne to ensure the tank gets rolling in the last twenty five games, how does you know Lowry Markkanen go about playing with someone like Cameron Payne in pick and roll? Or you know is someone like Cameron Payne going to be good enough to find Lowry Markin some easy baskets? Probably not. So. There's going to be an impact on other players. There's going to be a net effect by playing someone like Cameron Payne, Paul Zipsa, and Cristiano Felicio in rotations with Larry Markkinen. And as an example, that's going to have an impact and it's going to make things a lot harder for Larry Markkinen, which may impact it on his development this season. But that's what you need to weigh up. What is more important to you for the remainder of this season? Is it ensuring you get the best possible odds at securing a top draft pick? Or is the development of someone like Lowry, Markinen, Zach Levine, and Chris Dunn not a just not just as individuals, but as a, a as a three-man cohesive unit? What is more important to you long term? I would argue tanking is, given that there's only 25 games of this season. But I also see the argument that the Bulls shouldn't completely lose sight of developing some of their younger players, their their key younger players, I'll say at least. So I think. Fred Hoiberg will need to tinker with his rotation. He'll obviously need to play less of guys like Justin Holiday and Robin Lopez. That is obviously the correct decision. That's not really, or It doesn't really make sense to be playing someone like Justin Holiday 34, 35 minutes a night when you can be getting minutes into Denzel Valentine, Zach Levine, David Nwaba on the perimeter. And obviously the same, same logic can be applied with Robin Lopez. But the trade-off may be that you may be making things a little bit difficult for guys like Don. And Markkinen, but that's the risk you take when you tank. You've got to weigh up those or that situation. So that's what I would be doing. And I think that's what the Bulls are positioning themselves to be doing post the All-Star break. So thank you to those questions in relation to the rotation. I think that's what the Bulls will be doing moving forward. But let's get into the stuff that I guess, or the more exciting stuff, let's call it. Particularly the NBA draft. As I said before, the draft itself is probably going to be the most important date on the Bulls' calendar for this season. Um, I think that's pretty much, apart from the lottery itself, that's pretty much, un, uh, you can't really debate that point, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid. So the draft is going to be super important for the Bulls. And I've got a few questions here, which I'm going to go through now. So the first one I've got comes from uh, Mr. Mojo Risen on Reddit there. And he asks Given we could potentially have two lottery picks this year, Who would you like to see the front office draft? Also, I know it's a bit early to tell, but do you think there's a possibility of a trade to move up in the draft? How would you feel about that given the result of the 2014 draft? So, yeah, look, let's start with the second part of your question there. (laughs) What the Bulls did in the 2014 draft, obviously moving up and trading two picks away and I guess taking Doug McDermott in the 2014 draft. I still have lingering nightmares about that. So, I don't necessarily want to see that repeated again, but it all comes down to where the balls fall in terms of their draft picks. If they if they've got their you know the fifth pick and the the Pelicans pick is sort of sitting at thirteen or something like that, does it make a lot of sense to move up from five to three or something like that? I don't know, maybe. But you know, if they if, if for whatever reason they've got the ninth pick and the fourteenth pick, I think in that scenario I'd probably be more inclined to move up given that I'm more higher on the guys that are in the tallest top 8 or top 7 to 8 in this draft than I am the guys sort of towards, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12, etc. So, it almost depends where they're positioned after the lottery. If they happen to have the top 5 pick themselves, i are probably not not really interested in making a deal that sort of moves them up into the top of the draft by giving away two picks for one or something like that. So, I'm probably not inclined to do that. However, if for whatever reason, they've got two lower picks. Then maybe I start to think about it. But at the same time, as even if the Bulls do happen, happen to have an appetite to do so, it's going to be dependent on other teams around them. And I don't necessarily see these tang these teams tanking hard enough to maybe trade out of like a top five position. Like would Orlando Magic, for whatever reason, be willing to to trade out of the top five or whatever the situation may be? by trading their pick back for two picks that the Bulls may own? Probably not. So it's hard to say hard to say at the moment without knowing where the where the lottery balls lie and, and who has what picks. But personally I'm probably trying to avoid trading up in the draft. And and to be honest with you, the Bulls almost need as many hits on this draft as possible. So I, I don't mind the idea of them keeping both picks so they can take two rookies into next season. So Yeah, that's what I'd be thinking, or that's what I'm leaning towards at the moment, but in terms of the two lottery picks this year and who I would like to see the front office draft, look, my top three at the moment are Luka Doncic, DeAndre Ayton, and Jaron Jackson Jr., they're my top three. Don't necessarily know what order, I probably got Doncic at number one, but it's kind of almost irrelevant at this point, because I don't know if the Bulls are going to be in a position to take either of those guys, because... I don't see the Bulls getting into the top three. So um, looking ahead at the schedule, like I said there before, there's 25 games left for the season. And if you look look into the schedule, the Bulls have actually got 14 games against sub-500 teams at the moment. So the schedule itself isn't super difficult. They've got a lot of games against tanking teams themselves. So three games against the Brooklyn Nets, two against the Grizzlies, a game against the, the Knicks, the Dallas Mavericks, the Atlanta Hawks and the Orlando Magic. They've also got games against the Charlotte Hornets, who who are a little bit higher on uh, than the Bulls in the standings, but the Bulls have beaten them twice this season. And they've also got three games against the Detroit Pistons, who I guess are trying to push towards the playoffs, but them themselves at the moment are a sub-500 team. So that's 14 games there where they're not going to win them all, obviously, but they might, they might go 500 over that 14 games. And if they if they win seven of those, let's call it, that's 27 wins. That's going to be way too much to to sort of finish in the bottom three to five, I would say. So when I think about the guys that are, will be available outside of the top five and in maybe even the top seven, I guess, doesn't really excite me. I'll, I'll say that. And to be, I guess, finishing year one of the rebuild, and not being super excited about where the Bulls are sort of positioning themselves in the draft, somewhere in the sort of, say, seven to nine range. I don't love that scenario when there's a lot of players there that are good that could be good role players or or, you know a good third or fourth piece but I was hoping for something more than that so I mean if I if I was to assume the scenario where the Bulls finish in let's just call it where they are now they finish with the eighth pick if I if the Bulls are there I would be hoping they would take one of the bridges but outside of that no other prospect really gets me excited in that range like Kevin Knox would be a nice pick, but I don't see him necessarily being the game changer that I was hoping for at the start of the season. Same thing with Colin Sexton, another decent player, I guess, another good prospect who could be very good, but I guess it all goes back to my expectations of what I was hoping for this season or or out of this draft itself. I was hoping for a top three to, to a top five pick. At the moment, the Bulls are going to be picking in that eight range, like I mentioned before, and... Who I'd want to see there is either Michael Bridges or Miles Bridges, one of those guys. But beyond them, I'm not super excited about it, unfortunately. And that's probably just due to my own expectations. That may be the wrong way about looking about it, but um that's just how I feel at the moment. So uh that's who I'd be taking with the Bulls' pick. With the Pelicans pick, again, that sort of almost depends on where it falls at the moment. So the Pelicans, hopefully they'll fall outside of the, the uh outside of the playoff range there, but With the Pelicans pick itself, I think you can afford to be a little bit more strategic in the way, in in terms of drafting, maybe more so for fit than best player available. With the the Bulls' pick, I definitely take the best player available, but I think with the Pelicans pick, because it is your second go at it in in this draft, if you have a hole at centre maybe you're more inclined to draft the center with say pick 16 than you are with someone you know having the eighth pick or something like that I definitely wouldn't be trying to draft on fit with the Bulls pick but maybe you do that with the Pelicans pick so you know in that range of let's call it say 14 to 17 or something in that range maybe a guy like Robert Williams or Wendell Carter are there and then maybe you take that a swing on one of those guys as a, a potential center option for you moving forward or if you're not chasing a center maybe you go after a wing and sort of apply the same logic if you haven't already taken a wing with the Bulls' pick maybe you look at guys like troy brown or maybe a shake milton or, or maybe even the gary trent jr maybe that's reaching a little bit but they're the sort of options i'd be thinking about with the pelicans pick if you go big later or first up with the Bulls' pick, then maybe you take a wing with the Pelicans pick. But obviously conversely, if you take a wing with the Bulls' pick, maybe you look at the bigger the bigger guys that may be around at pick 16 or something like that. So that's where I'm leaning at the moment. I don't necessarily know or have a concrete answer as to who the as to who the Bulls should be taking. But that's the theory, I guess, that I'd be walking into this draft with. So uh, hopefully that answers your question there, Mister Mojo Risen. The next one comes in from Bears Fan Ten Twenty Four. So he asks uh, of the of the Bridges, so the the two that I mentioned before, Miles and Michael, which fits better with our team, and which one would you like to see us draft? Now, I think this question is almost dependent on what you sort of feel about someone like Zach Levine and maybe even Larry Markin as well. In terms of how they can develop into scorers and I guess what I'm getting at here is I don't necessarily see someone like Michael Bridges necessarily being a big time offensive player himself I think he fits perfectly as that 3 and D option that could fit really nicely alongside Chris Dunn and Zach Levine there on the perimeter I think that sort of makes a lot of sense but and it, like I said, it depends on what you think about Zach Levine as a big time scorer for this Bulls squad. So if you think Levine can be a guy that can develop into a, maybe a 23 to 25 point points per game scorer or something like that, and you're really confident about that, then someone like Michael Bridges fits really well. He's a bit older. I believe he'll be 22 once the NBA season rolls around. So that's obviously something you would need to consider. Do you do you take someone like Michael and he's a little bit older, probably more more finished, more polished in that sense? He may not have a high, as high a ceiling as someone like Miles Bridges. But if you're really confident about the core that you already have in place, particularly guys like Lowry and Zach Levine as scorers, then maybe you take someone like Michael Bridges at pick eight, let's call it. But if you're inclined to be sort of reaching more on potential or thinking about you know, ceilings and these sorts of things, maybe you're more interested in, in, in the younger guy. So, Miles Bridges. So, he's pretty much the same size at six foot seven, a bit more beefier at 230. So, maybe he has some potential to be a, a, I guess, a power forward as well. So, you can maybe use him in smaller ball lineups. Um, but he's also a little bit younger as well. So, he's 20 years of age um, there. So, he does present a, a younger option, probably someone that has more upside in terms of a ceiling, can play more the 3-4 than, say, someone like Bridges or Michael Bridges, who is more of a shooting guard, small forward type. So it almost depends on what you think about the existing squad that you have already on the roster. And I think myself, I'd probably be leaning towards, at the moment, Miles Bridges, but I could easily convince myself into Michael Bridges as well. And I've been doing that throughout this season. I've, I've, you know, I've I've shot off quite a few tweets of the sort of I guess position Michael Bridges on the wing there with the Bulls, but if you're feeling pretty confident about Zach Levine being the primary scorer on this team with Lowry, marking and behind him, then someone like Michael Bridges fits pretty perfectly. It's a pretty seamless fit. So, and it could be that he's the best player available and the best fit available. So, in that sense, taking one of the Bridges, whether it's Michael or Miles, it does make a lot of sense. But as I said before, if for whatever reason you wanted to rebuild, Ends with one of the bridges joining the team. It will be very nice. I'll probably look back on it and think this was a really good pick. But at the same time, I was probably expecting a little bit more. But like I said, that's my own insecurities about what I was expecting coming out of this rebuild. But um, yeah, I I, I guess I haven't really answered your question there. I think I, I would be happy with either Miles or Michael. I think they both serve a fit. They both play a valuable role that's needed in the NBA. And given the Bulls' I guess, lack of options on the wing. Uh, they would definitely fit quite nicely. So I'd probably be happy with either. But at the moment, I'm probably slightly leaning towards Miles. But um, that could change very quickly. So in terms of the bridges, that's where I'm th- what's where I'm leaning. And uh, I guess coming off that question, Ian Kip there on, on Twitter, he asks, who do we need more from the draft, a small forward or a center? So again, this is a question that sort of is almost dependent about how you feel about the players that are on the roster. And what I'm alluding to here, I guess, is how confident are you that someone like Larry Markin could eventually develop into a center? That's probably not something that's going to happen in the next one to two seasons. Maybe down the line, it could happen. He may beef up a little bit that will allow him to play more time at center. And the game itself may continue to trend towards this small ball where playing Larry at power forward may not be an option. That that could be a potential scenario four or five years down the track. So if you're thinking about Lowry Markkinen being a center down the road, then maybe you're not necessarily as keen as in taking a big man in this draft as you are taking a perimeter player. We've seen a, t- a team like the Boston Celtics load up on a lot of these bigger type wings. So maybe following that model and taking a bigger wing, maybe that makes a lot of sense, particularly if you do see Lowry and eventually developing into a center or spending, you know, a portion of the minutes he plays at center. Maybe that sort of sways you into taking a wing. But me personally, I would be taking a center and, and the reason why I say this is I think Markkinen is nimble enough and is agile enough to play on the on the perimeter there as a power forward. I think he can definitely check a lot of wings or guards when he sort of gets switched onto those players. I think he's nimble enough to stay at power forward. I think he can play some minutes at center, but I would be leaving him at power forward at the moment. But to me, I think the reason why I would be leaning towards the center at the moment is the Bulls' defense is absolutely terrible. And if you're going to be playing big minutes to guys like Bobby Portis, Zach Levine, and Denzel Valentine, three guys that John Paxson has made pretty clear that they're part of the core moving forward, it's going to be difficult to build a good defense around them so you're going to need a good defensive player or a good defensive center to sort of back up that defense and to me that's why i'm extremely high on someone like jaron jackson jr and i i've got my fingers crossed as i'm recording this right now i want him to be a bull so bad because of that reason because he fits so well offensively next to larry market and he would stretch the offense perfectly for someone like chris dunn and it would help mitigate Dunn's lack of shooting because someone like Jaron Jackson Jr. can really space the floor, but he's a fantastic defender as well. He can guard out high. He can protect the rim. He's leading um, all bigs at the moment from what I've read in terms of uh, blocks per 36. So, I mean, he's the, the prototypical center moving forward in the NBA. He's someone I desperately want on this roster. So I would be prioritizing a center if it makes sense, depending on that player. And what I mean by that is I want Jaron Jackson Jr. basically. I think he's the most realistic option if the Bulls can somehow find themselves with the fourth or the sixth pick. Unless they've got themselves into the top two where they can sort of pick between a small forward in Luka Doncic and a center like DeAndre Ayton. I'd be leaning towards someone like Jaron Jackson Jr. who's a center because this this roster as it's currently constructed I think long term really needs an option there protecting the rim and really changing the way the offense is run in terms of inverting the offense itself so I've been high on Jaron Jackson Jr. for most of this season and I guess I'm leaning towards a center if he is available but I guess if it's not then that's when that's when you start to question things and and maybe you take one of the bridges at that point and you lean towards a wing at that point but look i'm i'm extremely biased as you, as you can tell i want Jaron jackson jr pretty desperately so that's probably clouding my opinion on this so at the moment i'll say i want a center just on what that can do for the bulls as a defensive squad but look i might i might change my opinion next week who knows but uh, i'll say center at the moment but um moving along now to the next question this one comes in from Felipe Carvalhayes. He asks, Say the Bulls draft a good player in 2018, Miles Bridges, for example. Players develop well, but none of them becomes a superstar. And this iteration of team tops out as a second round team in, say, 2022 or 2023. Do you think Gar packs keep their jobs for the next cycle? Should they? Interesting question because a lot is going on in there in terms of what happens between now and, say, 2022 and 2023. If this Bulls team is a, I guess, a, let's let's call it a 52 or a 54-win team, it gets to the second round, but for whatever reason can't get past maybe the Milwaukee Bucks and Giannis, or maybe it's the Philadelphia 76ers at that point, and they can't get past... Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, or maybe LeBron's still going around and they still can't get past LeBron in 2023. Hopefully that's not the case, but maybe it happens. Stranger things have happened, I guess. But if that is the scenario, it almost depends on how strong the East is, what decision, the, what decisions the Bulls have made in terms of getting to that point. If they've made sound decisions and for whatever reason, they just couldn't find enough talent to, I guess, get past a team like the Milwaukee Bucks with Giannis, who's probably going to be the best player in the NBA within the next couple, of these, next couple of seasons. If they've done all the right moves or made more smarter moves than bad ones leading up to that point, then they probably should keep their jobs. But if for whatever reason, they made some, some dumb choices, maybe they made the wrong draft picks, maybe they signed some free agents that didn't really help and really, I guess, hamstrung their cap position. If they did that and I guess made the Bulls uh, or the reduced the Bulls ceiling and they couldn't get past that second round then then maybe you do look to move on from them at that point but look uh, that obviously it's almost a, a question that probably should be asked to someone like Jerry Reinsdorf more, more so than someone like myself obviously we can sit here and say that the front office shouldn't have their jobs right now and you know a lot of Bulls fans obviously feel that way but Bulls management or Bulls ownership I should say feel completely different to that and If the Bulls are a team that routinely makes the playoffs, even if it is a second round exit, that pretty much ticks the boxes on what Jerry Reinsdorf likes to see from his team. You know, constant playoff threat, someone that can bring in the playoff revenue, a good top four, say, team in the East. That ticks a lot of boxes for Jerry Reinsdorf, particularly if the Bulls are making a lot of money in the process. So... If that were to happen, I think it's pretty much impossible there for ownership to fire the Bulls management team there, and I, I wouldn't be expecting that to be the case, so um, assuming that maybe they're good enough to build a team that makes the second round, let's call it a 50-win team, I don't think they'll be losing their job anytime soon there, Felipe, so I'm sure that crushes, crushes your dreams based on uh, what I know from your uh, your tweets in the past, but... If they are making a constant playoff contender, even if it's not necessarily a championship contender, as we've seen the before, this management team will retain their jobs. So, um, yeah, look, let's see what happens in the next sort of five years or so. But I'm not, I'm not envisioning uh, a change of management anytime soon. But uh, thanks for your question, there, uh, Felipe. So the next question comes in from Twitter at shy underscore aficionado. He asks. Should the goal be to pull a tank move next year, playing Lowry at the five like OKC did with Durant at the two? See what happens, and if it's a lot of losses, cool. But the team would be best served with Lowry, Markin, and being a full-time center. Interesting question, and it's one that I guess has been out there in the in the Twitter sphere or in, amongst Bulls Nation, and. It's definitely a worthy question and as I sort of alluded to before, depending on how you feel about Mark and whether you think he can trend towards being a center, then maybe that sort of helps you in terms of positioning this roster moving forward. If you're asking me do I think he can be a full-time center moving forward, I don't see it at the moment. I wouldn't be budgeting that into the plan going forward and I probably wouldn't be playing Larry and full-time at center next season as a tank move because... You almost need to think about his development, but also his health at the same time. If his body isn't up to playing full-time center next season and then you do that in order to tank, you risk maybe hurting Larry Markkinen and overextending him, and he gets bullied by some bigger guys down there on the block, and maybe that stunts his growth uh, a little bit. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's how I'd be seeing as a likely scenario. I don't think you should be rushing to move players up a position, particularly when they're learning the game in their current position itself. I think the Bulls really need to be thinking about making life as easy as possible for their younger players. So that may mean keeping Larry Marknett at power forward and developing him at power forward for the moment. And then as we sort of phase into year three, year four of his career, maybe giving him more spot minutes as a backup center in second units, as an example. So I don't think... At the moment, Lowry can handle being a center for a full season as early as next season. And I think if the motive of putting him there is to tank, I don't necessarily like that strategy because I do worry about what that may do for his development. But what I will say is I do agree with you that I think if he could play center, that would be amazing for this team because it does really change the outlook of this team. If you can have a big man like that, that can stretch the floor from the center spot. If Lowry, we think he can develop into say a forty percent three point shooter. If he can develop into a center that can you know somewhat protect the rim whilst being that that big of an offensive threat at the five, then that really does change your your offensive complexion and maybe it changes on how you do, go about drafting. As I said before, maybe you take more wings. Maybe you hit free agency and you know strictly look for wings. But um, at the moment, I don't think you can really. Like I said, plan for that. I don't think that's a viable option at the moment. Maybe it will be in five years' time, but I think at the moment, Lowry Martin is probably strictly a power forward at this point who can maybe play some pinch minutes at center, but it's definitely not something that I think is likely going forward. So that's my take on that one. So let's move on to the next question. This one comes in from Khan Errol. He asks, Who is a realistic free agent the Bulls should go after to round out the roster after the two draft picks? Now, this is an interesting question because I'm of the opinion that the Bulls really shouldn't be looking at free agency at all in 2018. I think they should be buyers in terms of bad contracts during the free agency period. They should be using that traded player exception that they got from the Miritich trade to take on a bad contract and another first round pick in 2019. And using or consuming their cap space with some bad contracts like that. I know they've already done that with with the Sheik. I would like to see them do that again, and the reason why I say that is there's just not a lot of good free agents out there in 2018. If we sort of rule out guys like Kevin Durant, LeBron James, and Paul George, or even Chris Paul, they're the guys that are headlining this free agency period. They're not coming to Chicago. I don't want the Bulls chasing someone like DeMarcus Cousins, who will be coming off an injury, a really significant injury as well, off that Achilles the Bulls don't need DeAndre Jordan. He's another big time center who's going to be available or potentially available, but he's going to be close to 30 and doesn't fit the Bulls timeline at all. Maybe if they can sort of get in on guys like Clint Capella and, and Aaron Gordon, two restricted free agents that definitely make a lot of sense for this roster, maybe that that's who I'd be aiming for in terms of this free agency period, but that's not likely. They're going to probably be re-signed by their own team, so... I don't know, do you chase them? Maybe you do. Maybe you offer them a nice contract, have a swing, and if it fails, well, no harm done. You go back to your position of trying to take on a bad contract for a draft pick. But they're probably the only two guys that really interest me in terms of big names. I would definitely be staying away from Jabari Parker And guys like Isaiah Thomas, two guys who have had injury concerns, who we don't need to be bringing into this roster and adding to the potential fear that we already have with someone like Zach Levine, maybe hurting himself again. We don't need Jabari Parker here at Power Forward after two ACLs, after Zach Levine has done one himself. So I wouldn't be investing big money in Jabari Parker. I would be staying away from Isaiah Thomas. So these are some of the bigger names that are going to be available. And then I guess it gets down to guys after that like Julius Randle or Tyreek Evans, Derek Favors, Ennis Kanter. You know, he has a player option which he'll probably opt into. So he may not be available. But the next on the list that I'm looking at here is Avery Bradley and Rodney Hood. They're not necessarily guys that I'm personally excited about. I'm not excited about the Bulls offering, you know, 10, 11 million dollars to someone like Rodney Hood or signing Avery Bradley to a four-year, 40 million dollar deal. That's not something I'm interested in the Bulls doing and I would rather them take on a bad contract rather than chasing someone and, and just signing a guy to, a, you know, a crappy deal. Let's just call it that. I'd be more inclined for the Bulls doing what what the Sixers did last season if they need to go and take a big name in free agency, offering a one-year deal at an exorbitant amount like like the Sixers did with JJ Redick. Maybe that's something they do. But I wouldn't be signing anyone to guarantee long-term money just because they do have space in 2018 because the free agency class just isn't good. Essentially, what I'm saying, Khan, is use the cap space that they do have to take on some bad contracts, and then round out the roster with some, I guess, some veterans like, like Justin Holiday. those types of moves where you can get someone that can come in and contribute, be a good leader, help grow this roster off the court, and signing a guy to maybe a two-year, $10 million deal who can come in and play a role. Now, who that player is, I'm not too sure. Maybe a guy like Dwayne Dedman. He probably doesn't necessarily fit because the Bulls have a lot of options in the front court, but... He's a guy at centre that you may be looking at as an option. But essentially, I want the Bulls to stay away from the bigger names. Unless it's an Aaron Gordon or a Clint Capella or someone like that, I just don't see any big names that really make sense. So I'd be rounding out the roster with two or three, I guess, role players that are on a similar level to Justin Holiday. So I mentioned Dwayne Dedman. Maybe you could look to find someone like Seth Curry or maybe James Ennis, some lesser players that could help your bench scoring Maybe even someone like Anthony Tolliver. I mean, he'll probably stay in Detroit, but he's a good veteran leader that I think would be nice on this Bulls squad as well. But they're more the names that I'm sort of leaning towards. But um, uh, I mean, it would be funny if the Bulls did re-sign Doug McDermott. I, well, I shouldn't say re-sign, but offered Doug McDermott a new contract. So he'll be a free agent. We'll see what happens with him and the Dallas Mavericks. But um, it would be funny to see the Bulls take back Doug McDermott in free agency after dealing him. Uh, about I guess a year ago now, but I just like I said I don't love this free agency class, and I'd be trying to stay away from it, trying to bring in the two rookies, re-signing David Nwaba who will be a free agent himself, and then looking to make some moves around the periphery whilst taking on a bad contract. That's what I'd be doing in free agency. It's not really a sexy answer, therefore you can, but um that's how I'd be how I would be playing it personally. So hopefully that one answers your question there. So, the next question I've got comes in relation to the Bulls' own free agent, their biggest free agent in 2018 in Zach Levine. So, this question comes from Reddit and it's been submitted by Mihirawati. He asks How much do you see Zach Levine receiving as a max free agent? Do you think it's going to be closer to an Otto Porter or Andrew Wiggins type money? Those guys received contracts that will pay them in excess of $25 million annually. So Otto Porter's on a four-year deal and Andrew Wiggins got the five-year deal there from the Minnesota Timberwolves. I don't think Zach Levine's going to be getting a max contract like that. I don't think he's going to be getting a five-year max like that from the Bulls like Wiggins did. At least I certainly hope he doesn't. But I think his number's closer towards that 15 to 20 range. I think we've seen a lot of the issues that, or maybe not issues, but a lot of the critiques that we had about Zach Levine in Minnesota or the concerns we had at him coming here to Chicago. I think a lot of them have materialized here thus far in his first 15 games or so. Obviously, he's returning from an injury, so you have to place that caveat on his performance to date. But He is a volume scorer, a microwave scorer, if you want to call it that, at the moment. And he doesn't do a ton ton else. And obviously, like I said, this free agency class isn't a good one. There's not a lot of money available. So I think that's going to compress his value somewhat. So I think the Bulls are in a good position here to get him back on a reasonable deal. I think he will probably end up signing a four-year maybe 70 million dollar deal with maybe some incentives there to maybe bump it up towards the 80 million dollar mark but I don't think he's going to be getting anything more than 20 million dollars a season and I say that more in hope than in actual faith that that happens but um I'm pretty confident in, in that assessment so I don't think there's any worry about Zach Levine receiving Otto Porter money at least I hope not anyway so um yeah, let's see what happens there. But if the Bulls can retain him at a number close to $15 million, then that's probably still somewhat of an overpay. But given what what we know about free agents, you have to overpay them slightly at times. I think that's a pretty fair number for both parties involved. So let's hopefully that's the case moving into the free agency period. But to the next question now. So this one comes in from Reddit as well. And apologies if I stop your name up here. Uh, Tapaya Tamati. I'm assuming that's how it's pronounced, I'm assuming it's also a Finnish name, but um, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, he asks, where do you see the Bulls in five to seven years, will they be a real contender, will Zach Lowry and or any other Bulls player that they draft be an all-star, so where do I see the Bulls in five to seven years time, I would, I would assume a, re- a routine playoff contender at least, So that may mean a first or second round team. I think that should be achievable. You've got a nice core here that you're building around Lowry, Zach Levine, and Chris Dunn. I don't think Dunn and Levine are necessarily all star guys, but I definitely do think that about Lowry Marknan. And I think if you can add a good pick in this year's draft, and maybe another good player with the Pelicans pick, suddenly you have a core of maybe four to five guys where you should still be able to field a pretty competitive team out in the Eastern Conference so I think at minimum the Bulls should be back in the playoffs within the next sort of let's call, let's say two seasons I'm not necessarily sold that they'll be back there next season but then thereafter uh, so so maybe 2019-20 I think they can sort of get back into the playoffs at that point point. and you know once Levine sort of starts to hit his prime and Larry Marketing gets to 23 or 24 and starts to get more all-star buzz assuming he continues to develop then I think the Bulls can be a good playoff team, someone that can routinely win 45 to 50 wins each season. So that's where I've got them pegged at the moment. Do I see anything more from them? Not at the moment. That's purely because I just don't see anyone on this roster at the moment who I can think can be a top five or 10 type player. And that's that's kind of what you need in order to progress into you know, an Eastern Conference finals or even the finals. You need a top line player like that that can really carry your team and whilst I'm very high on Larry Markin I think he can be an all-star a multi-time all-star I don't necessarily think he is a future top 10 player and history sort of suggested that's what you need and I just don't see it in him to be that high I think he can be a top 15 to 20 player at max I definitely don't see that for Chris Dunn or Zach Levine but hopefully one of those two can sort of exceed my expectations and can help make this Bulls team a lot better than what I think they can be but I mean if the worst case scenario is that they are a 45 to a 50 win team and they do that for four or five seasons then and particularly if they're playing an exciting brand of basketball then that's not the worst scenario to be in obviously we want the Bulls to be a title contender and we hope that they can do that you know find a piece that can sort of lead them towards that after this draft but if the most plausible situation is that the Bulls are a first or second round playoff exit type team that can consistently win between 45 and 50 games and do so playing well and playing good basketball, then I'm okay with that. I just want to watch good basketball where a team is sort of positioning themselves to be headed somewhere. And if the Bulls are doing that, they're making good decisions, the players max themselves out, the coaching sort of helps develop these players, and if for whatever reason, the ceiling is a second round team and everyone's maxing out their potential, then that's fine. If that's what the ceiling is on this team, then I'm okay with it. But I don't see any real argument at the moment to be saying this team is going to be finals bound or championship bound at the moment based on what we know at this point. But look, hopefully I'm wrong. But uh, that's where I see the ball sort of headed towards in the future. Um, next question, though, comes in from now and later on Reddit. So he asks... What is your overall opinion on the rebuild? I see a lot of GAR packs don't even know how to tank. What could have been done better? So good question. And to be honest with you, I don't really have a lot of complaints with the way GAR packs have handled themselves, at least this season. I think in by and large part, they've done pretty well. And even though I didn't like the Jimmy Butler trade at the time, I've come around on it. Lowry Markin has obviously exceeded expectations. Chris Dunn has moved away from being a potential bust to at least, at minimum, being a capable starting point guard. Not necessarily a great one, but a a decent one. And Zach Levine, we sort of already knew what he was, but he can be a decent third option at minimum as well. So you've got a good core there, but I guess my issue that I would say in terms of what they could have been doing more is more on the periphery, so the smaller moves. So if I think back to the Butler deal itself, I've said this before, but if they could have found a way to include or keep their own first round pick rather than doing a pick swap, that would have been huge. That would have changed my uh, opinion of the Butler deal quite a lot. This deadline that's sort of gone past, if they were able to sort of unload or find some more draft picks for some bad contracts, I would have tried to have done that in this trade deadline period here. But really, I think that what you're asking here is, you know, the criticism that they receive in terms of not being able to tank right is more so the results on the court. And, and obviously, as we saw that the Bulls were able to pull off that seven game winning streak, which didn't really help their tanking effort there. But look, I think by and large, if your team is playing well on the court and players are developing and if they're exceeding expectations, that's a good thing. And if it does happen to knock you back in the draft slightly, if you move from, say, a top 5 pick to a top 7 or 8, then there's not much you can do about that. Obviously, they can can try to manipulate rotations, but if the team still continues to play well, then there's only so much you can do at that point. You're not just going to, I guess, say, let's no longer play Lowry Markman for the last 25 games. I think that would be a ridiculous thing for them to do in order to improve the tank, but I think that's where most of the criticism does sort of lie in the fact that they have been better than expected on the court. So if you think back to the preseason, how many people actually thought that the Bulls would win 20 games on the season? Exiting this all-star break right now, they've already got 20 wins. As I said before, they've only got 25 games remaining, but if they win 40% of those games, then they're going to finish on the season with 30 wins or thereabouts, let's say. So... This is a team that has been better than expected and they've been better because, yes, they have been playing role players, but at the same time, like I said, we've we've seen better play than what we expected from Lowry, Markin, and Chris Dunn. And because that's happened, they've collected a few extra wins and I don't necessarily know if you can be critical about that, particularly when it comes in the sense of good young players helping you win games, particularly the guys like Lowry and Dunn. If that happens, then, you know, so be it, unfortunately. Now going forward, if for whatever reason, they continue to play Robin Lopez and Justin Holiday big minutes, then then, yeah, that's when you can have a big problem with what I guess the coaching staff are doing and the fact that there isn't necessarily a synergy between what the front office want and what the coaching staff are trying to achieve. Then you might have some problems with how the season has gone. But like I said before, I think in large part, I've been pretty happy with the front office this season. I think by and large, they've done good things. Like I said, there was a few things on the periphery which I thought they could have done better, but they're not necessarily things that I would be overly critical about. I think they still have time to rectify them. Like I said, they could take on bad contracts in the off season. So I think they're doing pretty well. And look, I would I would hope that they could finish in the top five in the draft. But if that's not to be, then look, let's give them time and see how they can sort of bounce back if they do land land the eighth pick. Maybe they can find another Larry marketing. Maybe Miles Bridges turns out to be a guy that we look back on and maybe he should have been a top five pick. Who knows? But at the moment, I've been pretty happy with the front office. So I don't necessarily subscribe to this idea that they don't even know how to tank because I think this season thus far has been pretty, pretty much a success. Moving on though to one of the last questions that I did receive. This one comes in from Julian Coletta and he asks... How much greater is Spencer Dinwiddie than Jaren Grant? Seems like a pretty poor judge of talent to let him go. And obviously I just got off answering a question about gar Packs and how they've performed. But that's probably one of the ones which are one of those small moves that that they did make, which I didn't acknowledge before, but that was a really bad move. They should not have let Spencer Dinwiddie go. He's obviously gone to the Brooklyn Nets now and has sort of carved out a nice little uh, season here and he's sort of building a nice platform to being a good NBA point guard. And if you think about maybe playing him instead of Jerry and Grant, where could the Bulls potentially be? And going back to the previous question in terms of the Gar packs not necessarily knowing how to tank, I have made fun of them of releasing Spencer Dinwiddie and how that was a, a bad decision. But if you think about it, like if they had Spencer Dinwiddie here and he was playing point guard instead of Jerry and Grant in these minutes that Chris Dunn hasn't been av- available, maybe the Bulls are even worse at tanking this season. Maybe they're they're sitting outside the top 10. So maybe in a subtle way, maybe it was a good thing to, to for, for Garpax to stuff that one up and lose Spencer Dinwiddie because maybe that helped out the tank. But look... Being serious for a moment, obviously they stuffed that one up. If they could have their time back, they would probably keep Spencer Dinwiddie instead of, maybe maybe not Jaron Grant, but maybe over Cameron Payne or, or definitely over Michael Carter-Williams. So, look, it's one that got away from them. Unfortunately, there's not much we can do about it now, but they definitely stuffed that up and it should have been clear to them that Spencer Dinwiddie maybe would have been an option or a good option for them moving forward, but he's not. He's part of the Brooklyn Nets now and... um Chalk that up as a move that the front office definitely got wrong. I think that's fair to say. But the final questions that I do have here, I got three questions actually in relation to Fred Hoiberg. And in the interest of time, I'll probably wrap up these three questions together because they're very similar. But I appreciate the questions here from Jay Butler, David WHD and Mike Katron from Twitter. They ask... How has, I guess, Fred Hoiberg performed this season and how do you think he's grown as a coach and what grade would you give him thus far this season? And I think Fred Hoiberg, like his players, has developed this season. if, If we think about guys that have exceeded expectations, our expectations of what they were previously, then you can put Fred Hoiberg in that list. He's definitely had a good season as a coach. I'm not necessarily convinced just yet that he will be a good coach moving forward, but I think just on this season, he's done pretty well. And what I'm referring to there, obviously, is the development of these players. We've obviously seen Larry Markin and Chris Dunn really come on as players. Even guys like Denzel Valentine and, and Bobby Portis have looked really good at times this season. I still question how good they will be going forward, but at least they can be you know, maybe a six-man type, bench pieces for the Bulls going forward. And You should credit Fred Hoiberg for their development as well, but he's really benefited from not having, I guess, a big name or a big ego in the locker room, and he's been able to, I guess, get back to what he's more comfortable in in terms of teaching and leading younger guys. So this iteration of Bulls is closer to what he was coaching back at Iowa State than what it was last season with Jimmy Butler, Dwayne Wade, and Rajon Rondo. He obviously doesn't have to manage that many personalities he doesn't need as many guys sharing the ball like that anymore. So it's probably been an easier task for him this season. So I do question once, I guess, Lowry, Zach Levine and Chris Dunn, once they establish themselves, get max deals or you know big dollar deals and really start to feel themselves, how does Hoiberg manage that situation? Maybe Maybe it will be different, but I guess that's still an open-ended question. But I think by and large, he's done a good thing this season. The offense has looked really good at times. There's been some good ball movement. No one's necessarily dominating the ball. And like I said, a lot of players have developed. And then and, and Hoiberg himself has developed. His after-timeout plays have been much better this season. I haven't really had many issues with his rotation at all. If I had, there have been minor things. But a lot of the things he has done this season, I would have agreed with. So again, like the front office, as I sort of said before, there's probably some things on the periphery which he hasn't necessarily done that well. But by and large... I think it's been a pretty good season for Fred Hoiberg. So it'll be interesting to see if that can continue. But at the moment, I would say right now, for this season at least, he has been a good coach. So let's see if that projects moving forward. But uh, I would hope so. Is he the man going forward? Is he the guy that's going to lead the Bulls into title contention? I'm not necessarily sold on that. But I think Fred Hoiberg has somewhat saved his job and in year three he's definitely been much better and I feel more confident moving into next season and and beyond but I um, appreciate your questions there on Hoiberg and that pretty much brings me to the end of the show here I've answered all the questions that I did receive so again thank you to everyone for sending through those questions and and the reason why I like doing these mailbag, mailbag type episodes is I always feel it's a good uh, I guess temperature gauge of how the fan base is thinking or what questions they do have on their mind and given that we're on at all star break and we do have this sort of period here to collect ourselves. It's always a good time to sort of just reflect on what has been and sort of project forward and, and what will be happening moving forward for the remaining 25 games in the season. So hopefully you enjoyed this episode. Hopefully I gave our uh, somewhat decent answers to those questions. And like I said, thank you everyone to sending in your questions, but looking ahead, bulls basketball will be back on Thursday night with the Philadelphia 76 ers coming to the United center. So that'll be a good game to see Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons take on the Chicago Bulls. And then on Saturday, the Bulls hit the road against the Minnesota Timberwolves. So maybe this time, assuming my uh, microphone doesn't kill itself again, maybe I can review a game against the Timberwolves. That's the the next two games heading out after the All-Star break. So, So two tough ones there. So hopefully they can both be two competitive heart fought losses and the tank can sort of get back on track and we can head towards that bottom five but uh, we shall see but I am looking forward to being on the home stretch now in terms of this season so let's get this all-star break over with let's get back into the final 25 games and let's get this season done and dusted that way we can head into the more exciting stuff And I don't know about you guys, but I won't be too disappointed when this season is over. But um, look, in the interim, I hope you've enjoyed the All-Star break and I hope you've enjoyed a few days off here. But Bulls basketball will be back shortly and as will I, so I'll catch you all again next week.